we're finding that a lot more organizations are now asking to see the ESG credentials of, of VMware before they'll almost even do business with us. On today's podcast, we've got a festive treat for you. We're talking to the VMware CTO, Joe Bagley. Mainly we're talking about ESG, but also what is the greatest Christmas present? This is Tech Talks, wishing you a very happy Christmas. It's very nearly Christmas, 21st of December. Do you two know what that is? Very nearly Christmas. Mm. It's my birthday. Is it your birthday? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as as of the rec- we're recording Monday. It's going out tomorrow, obviously. But, oh. uh, so tomorrow, today, you know what oh. I mean. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's your big 50th. Beautiful. Happy birthday. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> 37. Happy birthday for tomorrow, Dave. I'm glad you said that because I actually thought it was today. We've just been rambling on about other stuff and no one actually like mentioned it was your birthday. And obviously with Christmas coming up and, and other bits and pieces like that, you, you tend to get presents. And in today's interview, we talked to Joe Bagley from VMware. And I do ask him what the greatest present you can receive is, given that everyone will be giving and receiving. Um, best presents. Come on, guys. Best thing you've ever received. Let's say that. Best thing I've ever received. You know, we were talking about this, but I actually got a car for Christmas. My first car, the one that we were oh. literally just talking about. That was a Christmas present. So you're talking about your Renault Clio? My Renault Clio, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a it. hell of a Christmas present. I was thinking that you're going to say something from like when you were five years old that you've been super excited for and asked Santa for. And, no, car. Christmas morning, my dad went out of the house and then pulled a car into the driveway. I was like, oh, get this. So, yeah. What colour? Uh, it was like a black. Like, it, Well, it was black, but because it was... Like, you know, like a black. Yeah, I mean, it was black, but because it was quite old, <laughs> it was like a dark grey slaty... it was it was freedom yeah yeah freedom yeah yeah i have to say like all my mates when they passed i didn't do it i didn't bother i was never that interested but lots of my mates who did they had like yellow toyota yaris's and stuff so a cleo's quite i think i think smart for for your first yeah but i think i think the yaris's were like an era just before mine like you're basically saying i'm old a little bit older than me. Yeah, yeah 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 that yaris is there then it went to like cleo and then i think it went to like fiestas it was like that staple first car, wasn't it? You want to, you want to know how how you can tell that you're old because I am just learning and whatever else now. I got I got insurance for the year. My insurance is only five hundred and twenty quid as a new driver. That's a bargain, isn't it? Seeing as you've got no no claims as well, and I'm old as far as driving goes. Yeah, yeah, quite cheap. With my first insurance, I passed. I was seventeen, and it was like ridiculous it was like two grand or something stupid like well they probably took one look at you come on i know they thought well she's gonna be a girl racer yeah um, they're not wrong mine was four grand. the car was only about four grand, yeah, four grand yeah. <laughs> and it was the car was only about like seven eight hundred quid or something oh my word Madness. oh my word yeah. amber best present can you top a car no i can't top a car um Oh, I know. My best present was when I got my full Watford kit when I was younger. As in, like, the shorts, like, the socks. I got, like, everything. Like, the yeah, the full... Full chip. Any name number on the back? No, I don't think there was, actually. There's never really been any memorable players, have there, really, at Watford? Oh, Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm saying, you don't really remember any Watford players, do you? Troy Deeney? Yeah, that oh, was... Yeah. Uh, is there anyone older than Troy Deeney that I'd remember? Yeah, go on. No one remembers him. Who's, who's a Watford legend? I don't know any. 
Go on, Amber. <laughs> Elton John. Dave took my one, to be honest. He's got, he's got, he's got a stand, in not he? Like, oh, hang on, who was it? Luther Blissett was in Graham Taylor's team, wasn't he? Right, hang on, let's let's do a quick Google, listeners. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Striker, best known for his time as Watford, who helped them win promotion from the fourth division. There we go. Luther Blissett. Luther Blissett. Second, yeah, rise from their fourth division to second place in the top flight. Come on, folks. I'm not even a Watford fan, Amber. That's poor. That is poor. Anyway, anyway, it is a festive special, so forgive us for our rambling. We hope that you have a lovely Christmas. But we are going to hand over to our chat. This is about technology. This is with um, Joe Bagley, the CTO of VMware. We'll be back very shortly with some chat. So earlier in the year, I spoke to Joe Bagley uh, from uh, VMware, who kindly taught us all about the difference between sunny days and tanks and AI and its ability to differentiate between the two. Uh, Joe, that episode got listened to quite heavily, so we thought we'd get you back on for a festive episode. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I actually literally had my booster about four hours ago, so if I suddenly keel over halfway through this, you'll know why, but no, it's all going well. Your arm's okay? Yeah, seem to be. I've, I've, I've seemed to have responded fine to them. My wife seems to respond really badly, but I seem to be somehow okay. I just have like a, a painful arm sometimes. For a yeah, bit. No, it's funnily all enough, uh, very similar in this household. My wife had hers yesterday and is decorating Christmas cakes, but was telling me that her arm was quite... I don't, I don't know how physically demanding decorating cakes is, <laughs> but it seems to be enough that the vaccine has interrupted it. We actually got us done together in the same booth. It was very romantic. They sort of did a husband and wife session for us. It was very cool. So, yeah, so it was a very, very special thing to do together before Christmas. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that you're well. Um, look, we, we said that your episode got um, listened to quite heavily. First of all, before we jump into kind of um, what I wanted to talk to you about today, um, mm-hmm. let's let's just revisit what you do for those for those people who haven't had a chance to listen to that episode. Yeah, no worries at all. So I'm the chief technology officer for VMware in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So I'm reporting to our chief technology officer in the US and form part of the sort of technology leadership group for our company, I suppose. And I've been here for 10 years working on the, the strategy for VMware. I also sit on several advisory boards and other different bits and pieces for various things across the industry, including recruitment companies. So yeah, I spend my life in and out and around tech and gadgets. Every year in technology seems like it's a bit of a crazy one. Uh, the last 20 months or so have obviously been incredibly challenging for a lot of businesses um if we look back at 2021 which is effectively like the second year post-covid happenings what do you think the major developments have been because i suppose we we had that initial 2020 lurch into remote working and and everything else that, that has been brought with that 2021 seems to be an acceleration of those trends and you know tech and education hybrid working technology all of those bits and pieces and acceleration in cloud services but what do you think the major developments have been over the course of this year well the the, the, the thing about if you talk in the context of the pandemic initially everyone was like oh we'll just be doing this temporarily um you know and then we'll all bounce back to how we worked before and then there was the towards the end of last year was i wonder how far we'll bounce back and how we'll bounce back and i think people are now sitting down to reality of this is kind of it now at least for the foreseeable future that we're going to have to work like we're working at the moment i think people are experimenting with hybrid meetings and realizing that there's a real art to getting those to work where half the people are in a meeting room and half aren't so Mm -hmm. from that perspective i think we're we're slowly moving on i think people are finding their niche about how to work in this new world From, from a technology perspective i think it's 
you know, if, if you talk about what are the conversations I'm having in 2021 that are bigger and bolder and dominating me, there's a couple of real themes. The first massive theme is is ESG. Um, you know, and, and this is a term, if I'd said ESG to people two years ago, they would have gone, what on earth are you on about? And it suddenly popped up. And, you know, for a company that's been been focused on, you know, tech for good, as we've called it for a long time, and looking at what we did in that space, and suddenly to have a term come up with ESG, which fitted around all the things we were doing is kind of cool. But what's amazed me is that, the focus that I'm getting from my conversations with people outside the industry. I was with a, a group of people the other night in a social event that are all investors, bankers. Um, you know, they spend their lives doing, you know, constructing big deals and, you know, all over the place on any technology you like. And they always come and ask me questions about stuff. But they are all about ESG now and all the funds are about, you know, investing in ESG, et cetera. So that that side of things is is hugely important as as we talk to, you know, most customers now too. So ESG is probably the big one. In terms of, I suppose you said that like two years ago, most people wouldn't be familiar with with ESG, and you might have had tech for good. What what are the what are the subtle differences? Why why is it that we've had to rebrand it? Why have we pulled a couple of different kind of teams together and and called it this new thing? And all of a sudden, it, it's a it's an area of focus. Well, I think it's a nice term to bring together a whole bunch of stuff a lot of people were already doing. So before now, people always said, "Oh, you know, sustainability. Oh, what are you doing around sustainability? What are you doing around carbon?" Um, I think environmental, so you know, social and governance as it's called sort of brings that all together brings a whole bunch of things in addition to sustainability and, and what we're doing to save the planet so to speak it's much mm. more around you know how you're looking at um how we deal with society more widely so diversity equity inclusion come under the, that banner of, of you know the social side and, and how we're doing that and you know elements like trust etc and social criteria is, is much more about how you manage relationships with your employees suppliers customers etc like that so it's not just about you know what are you doing for the environment and then the governance piece is much more around you know things like you know executive pay shareholder rights audits internal control so it, it's a much broader are we doing this for the right reasons kind of stuff so i'm finding you know people looking at companies now look at the esg for that company before they join quite heavily because you know whether they want to be invested in something that's being done people then spending their money or investing their money want to make sure they're doing that we're finding that a lot more organizations are now asking to see the esg credentials of of, of vmware before they'll almost even do business with us so i think why has it suddenly come up it's because there's a whole bunch of this stuff has been talked about before we talked about sustainability we talked about diversity but to have mm. it as one sort of banner on well tell Tell us what you're doing for ESG is kind of like, tell us how good you are. Tell us how well-meaning you are, you know? As, as CTO for VMware then, let's let's focus on that for two seconds because because cloud and data, data in particular, is, has obviously come under scrutiny with ESG and sustainability. Has it been that you've had to articulate what you do more clearly so that you can tell that story and reassure people? Or has it affected your decision-making in terms of well, how do we store our data which country is it in? Is it, you know, is the power that's generating in, in, in data centers green, et cetera? So, yeah, so that's another whole one of my topics I was going to talk about. I suppose really what's big in 2021 is sovereignty and sovereign cloud and sovereignty of data. So that's another huge topic that we could do several podcasts together on alone, <laughs> you know. Um there's this sort of there's a there's a there's an element of pushback from certain regions against American hyperscalers, particularly in Europe. Sort of people saying, okay, I don't want to put my data in an American hyperscaler. There's elements of governments around the world, not just in a European context, saying, okay, we need to make sure the data to do with us and our country and what we're doing is within our boundaries. There's other organisations and countries going, well, hang on a second, we don't really have anything, we don't have a play in this space because we're giving everything to you know a hyperscaler from another country. So how do we do that? So 
there's always been talk around those lines, but several initiatives have popped up. Gaia X is one of them, spelled G-A-I-A-X. That's a huge initiative around data sharing within, started out as European, it's now going global, in terms of coming up for a way where I can still retain control of my data, keep it within my borders, whatever those borders are, whether that's you know the borders of my company or the borders of my country, but then make sure that I can safely share that data with other organizations without having to put it in a big cloud somewhere where we all access it. So that's sort of one big piece. And then the other thing, is that base data sovereignty so you know people looking for a, you know let's just pick a country off the top of my head germany you know companies saying okay well i need to make sure my data is in a german cloud in a german data center run by german people etc 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 so that's really important too so data sovereignty is a huge topic i spend a lot of my time and, and, and efforts at the moment in in how you know we support that but just generally talking about those with customers and then the flip side is talking to governments uh and working on legislation or not legislation but sort of more regulations that you know, regulating that, that maybe drives towards legislation or advice and policy around the sustainability of data centers. And so there's some really exciting projects going on where people are looking about how to build data centers more sustainably, you know, in tandem with some renewable energy thing. So, you know, let's go and build the new tidal lagoon. And what we'll do is we'll build data centers there at the same time. And then we'll also make sure that any spare energy we've got, we convert into hydrogen that we then sell to ships and all this other kind of stuff. So people looking at much more whole system in terms of sustainability and energy and rather than just sort of saying, OK, well, I'm going to get a data center and run it on renewable energy. So, again, another whole topic. We could have another whole podcast on about sustainability. Sustainability and, and renewable energy and data centers, something I've been in place for about 20 years. And do you, th- do you think that's a, a almost like a uh, once every kind of five, 10 years, there seems to be a shift in the conversation of digital leaders in a big way? I feel like we've been talking about inclusion, uh, which we need to continue to do so because obviously we haven't fixed those issues. But it felt like there's been several topics that have dominated kind of the digital leadership forums, et cetera, for the last couple of years sustainability those choices the governance of surrounding it sovereignty of data do you feel like that's that feels to me like it's a bit of a shift i know that some of those conversations have been going on but it feels like they've kind of come together under one umbrella and it's now a real theme that is set to dominate and i don't know whether you think that's the case yeah. too yeah so the, you know, that esg umbrella allows people to talk about a whole host of things and have a whole host of conversations but yeah there's an underlying architectural change to be honest that people haven't noticed that's kind of driving some of these concerns specifically in the you know the data sovereignty piece and then towards a whole bunch of other different pieces as well because we had this thing so if you rewind again 15 years and went to any of the big conferences that the whole everyone would have told you well, what we're going to do is we're going to get all of our all of our stuff we're going to put it in big clouds everything's going to be taken off our you know off our premises and it's all going to be put in one big cloud that's not what's happening now people are now saying okay well actually some of my stuff's going to go in a cloud but what we're now looking at is highly distributed applications and that's really important to understand. And what I mean by that is you you don't architect now from a technology perspective, say, okay, well, my app is moving from my data center to go and run in CloudX, pick the cloud you like. What I'm now realizing is my future apps are going to be built from a bit from CloudX, a bit from CloudY, some stuff that's running on my premises in my data center, and then bits that are going to be running in every police car, ambulance, retail store, whatever it is that my business is. And I've got to understand that there's going to be data in lots of places. There's going to be intelligence in lots of places, back to the pre- this podcast um there's going to be bits and pieces going on everywhere so my governance my security my everything around that app how i architect it is not as simple as when someone comes and says where's my data i can't just point at the data center and go it's there or point at a cloud and go it's there it's now my problem so now we're hearing the term enterprise sovereignty if you really want to have that which is even more complicated which is 
understanding the sovereignty of the data within your enterprise, even though it's sitting in multiple different entities, because applications are now highly distributed. So, yeah, quite a complex one that. But you know, your key trend is around this high, highly distributed application. So you'll hear about edge computing a lot. Edge computing is is a symptom of highly distributed applications. Multi-cloud is a symptom of highly distributed applications. All of these things are symptoms of of the new architectures. So here's, here's, a, here's a last question that I think um, it's always difficult to predict the future, right? But we're just thinking about the next 12 months. As a CTO um, in a large organization, aside from what you are talking about, what excites you? What looking forward with what we're talking about now genuinely makes you go, that's interesting? Yeah, to be honestly, the... The environmental stuff, the sustainability stuff, the building highly distributed, highly connected things probably excites me as any technologist. I think it's that, you know, it's the cutting edge bits and pieces of it. So when someone comes to me and says, we've got a project where we're trying to um, put SD-WAN and change what's in police cars, you know, literally change police cars from having 100 kilos of kit per police car down to five kilos of kit and essentially making that much lighter weight, much faster booting, much more usable, connected to multiple LTE networks. That's exciting stuff for me, right? Because, wow, you know, I get to play with the real world. So, you know, bits and pieces like that are what get me out of bed in the morning and go, this is going to be a fun time, you know, dealing with, um, you know, passions of mine like motorsport and getting involved in, in, in motorsport teams. I can't tell you exactly any details there, but, you know, things and bits and pieces like that about how that's going to change, but around the new sustainable side of that and what we're doing in, in terms of how we bring and connect people with that. So there's a whole bunch of very exciting things. Some I can talk about, some I can't looking forwards, but yeah, it's, it's definitely under that sort of ESG, highly distributed application umbrella, I suppose, which is why, you know, when you ask me what, what's been big this year and what's leading me into next year, that's definitely what it is. Well, look, I've really enjoyed your time today. Uh, it's lovely to catch up with you. I'm going to ask you one more question. It's got nothing to do with work or technology. This is going out on the 21st of December. So people have got maybe two or three days left to do some shopping. If they're struggling for ideas, what is the perfect Christmas gift? What is a what is an absolute safe bet that if someone's struggling for ideas, they could get someone and it's going to go fine? What, if they're a CTO or who are they buying for is the question? Oh, anyone, anyone. I, I, I'm going to keep this really broad. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, there's there's some gifts that are just kind of universally popular, right? I, I think, honestly, one I, you, there's a whole host of things and gadgets, right, that are flying around in my mind, and I love gadgets. I really do. Right. And there's, a whole, there's a whole variety of them. So, you know, things any like... Stand, any, any in particular? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So I think the one standalone gift this year or standout gift that I think is going to start to transform things is the Oculus Quest 2, so a VR headset. All right, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. come down in price. I am sound like I'm on some kind of gift show here. It's just about £300. <laughs> um, I've got a variety of them because we've been playing with them. We hold meetings in VR. It's one of the things we've been playing with. Um, and I took one round to a, a friend's house the other night when five or six of us were getting together. And it was a revelation to all these people that had never tried VR. And it's the fact that it's it's literally almost idiot-proof. It's self-contained. You don't need a big computer to plug it into. It just runs by itself. And it's incredibly accurate and fantastically immersive. I think, you know, if you're looking for that, that cool, let's do something really interesting gift, Oculus Quest 2. That's the way to go forwards. I think I've tried the Oculus Quest. I, I played Beat Saber. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Quest 2 is just a bit smaller, a bit lighter, a bit yeah. faster, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just an It's a hell of a really. lot of fun. Oh, it's, and there's a load more cool games on it now too. We, we were doing weird like top golf on it. We were doing um, clay pigeon shooting. It was all manner of, there's, there's a whole host of different. My, my friend who's a big table tennis fan was playing table tennis with it. He was on it for about two hours playing table tennis. He loved it. So yeah, I think it's, that's really got to a tipping point now where the, the immersion and the quality of video is there that people actually, you know, it's, it's not just some kind of novelty or gimmick. It's really cool fun. 
There we go. There's there's a gift idea. Look, thank you for your time. <laughs> Have a very Merry Christmas. No worries. Same to everyone else. Cheers. ESG is the new era-defining chat. Um, I think that it's really good that he talks about this because there is an element that it is it is about scrutiny, right? It's more than just a slogan, I think is exactly what he says. And, and that's true. People actually care. Like they're looking deeper into what companies are doing with tech and with data. Yeah, I think um, I think he hit the nail on the head with it because it's gone from just a, a nice like page on your website to go, oh yeah, you know we're looking after the environment and all this to now actually having certain controls, having governance in. And I know that some of the big organisations in the world they've got some serious kind of ESG targets. You look at um, like the COP um conference can you call it that or cop 26 yeah cop 26 so that happened 26 yeah. yeah so the cop 26 and and you know what organizations are committing to and things like that so i think it's actually becoming a lot more you know something that's that they've got action right um which kind of makes me think because it's always been around is but it's always been you know what you're doing and stuff but as, as soon as you throw the word governance into it people start to have certain controls and you know, start to actually do it properly, right? I mean, say, I say this with a degree of, um, what's the right word? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've got to be a little bit careful because C- CSR always felt like it was a little bit of a tick-the-box ex- exercise in some organisations. Like you had a CSR department, and yeah, it's important, but at the same time, how much funding and how much um, how much authority did did a CSR department really have? and yeah companies did tech for good but it's almost like you know we might get asked a question so we've got to have this just in case whereas esg does feel like it's something that's got some authority about it that organizations realize if they don't take this seriously now they may well lose customers or not get new customers Mm. i think it's like what akisha is kind of like just taking that accountability isn't it like actually and like you say holding people accountable for it so it's not just like yeah, you've got to do this and, you know, we just kind of, yeah, like, like you said as well, like a tick box exercise, it's actually a case of like these companies want to do better and people look into it as well, don't they? People really like base their choices of who they're buying with or who they are, you know, working with or like, who service they go for based on this sort of stuff. So I think it's not only within the company's best interest just to do it for the good of the environment and, and obviously for sort of good reasons, but also just purely because of their customer base and how they will potentially go elsewhere if they don't stick to these kind of regulations. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true, actually, because like if you look at customers now and consumers, I mean, I was I was on the internet the other day trying to buy a pair of trainers and on a specific website of a big like sports brand, you've actually got their kind of ESG friendly trainers or you've got like their vegan friendly, you know, recycled materials, that sort of thing. And that's the first time I've ever seen it. Like, you know, I've never seen that sort of stuff. And it just made me think like, wow, you know, things are so much different. Not only are we being able to do these things in terms of like see it in front, because once you clicked on it, it showed you, you know, what their kind of carbon footprint was like, what they've committed to, you know, what materials they're using. <laughs> Um, how the plastics from like oceans that are getting kind of like you know gathered up are, are coming into the production of these shoes and all this sort of stuff and I was like wow man like back in the day when when I was trying to buy a pair of trainers you'd go into like a Foot Locker for example or a JJB even before then 
you, you'd look at a few, you'd try a few on and you'd walk out with them and you wouldn't really care like, you know, where your money's going or what these companies are doing. Whereas now I think it's a lot more ethical um, and people will choose to associate themselves with those that are, you know, kind of actually showing that they are taking a positive, I guess, influence into the environment. And when we look at the technology market, Joe kind of alludes—sorry, alludes to a slight competitive advantage, perhaps, for European companies over American companies. You know, um, he talks about people having a slight hesitancy, perhaps, to buy from the large American cloud outsourcers, and that Europe has got more of a handle on this stuff, and that might affect consumer choices in the same way that we on the high street are now questioning where we're buying stuff from. We're looking at the big data um, houses or the big kind of cloud suppliers and asking questions about what their supply chains look like and, and perhaps the assumption is is that America's a little bit behind. I think America's behind on most things, aren't they? They're just a bit of a backwards place. <laughs> but no, I just... Okay, Keish, Keish blowing out there. That's a big comment. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was... Um, sorry for anyone who's listening from there. But do you know what I mean? I just think, like, I don't know what the point I'm trying to make is, but like, I find that this could potentially yeah people are just looking into these things more and i just feel like if people don't kind of update or you know make their supply chains more sustainable you know whatever is the case then people would just sort of go to the more sort of like the better options won't they Hmm. i think also there's a culture at the moment right of people just trying to be different and not go to the household names and to like the big chains. And mm. I mean, he, he mentions like the big companies and that, but I think, I think there's just it's a, like avoiding Amazon. Yeah. 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 Like, it's, it's like avoiding blibbing. Like, you want to go to a coffee, uh, like go for a coffee. Right. And I, depending on where you are in the country, but if you put like a prep or like an independent coffee shop, right a few yards down from each other I, I think personally especially in London and parts of London where there's a huge kind of like hate towards like the big conglomerates and like you know those organizations I think a lot of people go to like a small independence like you know I, I the other day I was I literally was just walking um down the high street I went to get my booster actually uh, plug go get your booster um but like as I was walking back um, there was all these smaller shops, mate, that I'd never even like. I'd driven past mm. them, but because I'd never really walked down the high street, when you walks down the high street these days, right? I didn't even know who they were. And literally, I bought like three, four things as I was walking past. I felt like a right old like lady, but um, I just kept on going into these shops. And I was, oh, that's nice. Oh, this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all these like small independent shops and like selling weird and wonderful things, but. Well, that's one thing that I think the pandemic has been quite good for in, in on the high streets is is because people are spending like you know I've moved out to a to a village in the middle of Kent. If we were still working five days a week in the office, would I spend my money Monday to Friday in these shops? Absolutely, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be here whilst they're open. But now I am, and I will walk down to the independent deli that sells mm. produce from Kent and get coffee and, and carrot cake, which mm. I regularly do. Mm. Yeah, exactly, man. So, so I think, I think, and, and even organisations, I think they want to break away from the mould of, oh, if we've got something IT, if we've got something, you know, that we need a consultancy, it's just a big four and that's it, you know, and and 
or you know if we've got a product that we need to launch or something that we need to do we need to go to like the big boys in the market i think i think people are quite yeah. open really joe says that he says you know 15 10 15 years ago it was all going to one supplier one mega supplier mm. that's cloud services and now it's we'll take a bit from here a bit from here and because they're going because people are going to that mindset that does allow for you know for providers maybe with greener credentials uh, credentials rather or greener um narratives around how you know ai data power is being used or put together in that supply chain that gives them a, an, again a, a slightly different advantage to go to the market and go this is why you should buy your services from us yeah man and i think also like you know when i i mean when i started recruitment and tech and learning about technology and stuff there was only one cloud service provider at that time and that was ibm and that was it right like Everyone kind of went to IBM. You you had different, you know, variations of whatever suite they provided. But I didn't realise you started your recruitment career in the late eighties. Well, no, it was not <laughs> the late eighties, but IBM was massive, mate. You know what I mean? Early two thousands as well, or whatever, two thousand tens, whatever. But um, about ten <laughs> about ten years ago, IBM and and then HP was like suddenly a massive yeah. thing. Do you know what I mean? So after that, but now, I mean, you know, companies can use um use anyone i guess then i've got a question right so you when things become more sustainable mm -hmm. and that's that could be you know we said about trainers you know small high street shops or anything coffee you know or, or sort of technology and technology providers and stuff like do you think when the things become more sustainable they become more expensive and do companies would they look at like the cost and be like okay we're happy to pay more because it's more sustainable or do you think they'd be like no we need to be more cost efficient and then you know potentially that might cancel out some of the sort of the Look, econ economies of scale suggest that it would be a lot cheaper to go to one mega provider who can give you smaller margins uh, and lots and lots of data but at the same time if you're losing out on customers and you're swimming against the general direction of let's think about kind of environmental impact you know and ESG generally then surely you're investing a little bit to to win a, a bigger slice of the of of the pie in terms of the market share because more people are going to think that you're someone that they want to work with. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's true. But also, I think uh, if you look at electric cars, for example, like they're at a premium, right? I don't know why mm. we talk we keep talking about cars today, but it's just something that came to mind, like because they are more environmentally friendly and the supply chains are a bit more efficient and yeah their overall kind of carbon footprint all that sort of thing but they're extortionate man like you know but you don't have to pay road tax you get like you don't you get benefits but, yeah. without outlay and although they're extortionate up front they're actually cheaper if you have them for x many years mm, i guess so yeah in, in the long run but i, I don't know I, I just think i, I think Whilst the industry is going towards something, I think the overall kind of people's psyche and thinking also needs to evolve. It can't just be like organisations going, yeah, look, we're doing this. How great are we? Yeah, we're doing that. Look how great we are. But I think it's also people's kind of thinking mm. and, and acknowledgement to go, actually, this is something that we need to use in practice. And yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Well, look, um, it's Christmas in four days. So we'll have a slightly shorter show this week. We'll be back next week with a, very different show um just going to be joined by two other guests in a in a short panel discussion give amber and akisha break uh but everyone and, else and rudolph is it them two coming are they two guests 
Oh, some elves. No. <laughs> Help us. No. Um, terrible. No one will be listening by now. No. Uh, <laughs> They're long gone, aren't they? Have a lovely... Well, we probably lost them with Luther, Luther Blissett. Um, have a lovely, lovely Christmas. Christmas.